do so. I pray this morning's message is a blessing for you and I pray in every way that those of you who don't know Christ, um, that after this message you would find a hope, uh, a hope that um, that is to be looked forward to, a hope that we are looking forward to and um, and a hope that will be a blessing for you in the days also to come. So, uh, so I look forward to, to preaching this message, and I know that the Lord is uh, the Lord is a, a blessing to me, and He certainly He certainly helped me uh, filter through. They say that a pastor's a preacher's best friend is a rubbish bin, and it's very true, and it's applicable here. There were a number of things that I had to uh, I had to remove um, because they weren't part of what um, the Lord wanted me to really bring out with regards to this text. So. Welcome, everyone. Good to see uh, those of you that are here and, uh, and a blessing to see you. Uh, a real blessing to see you. Um, Boots, where's Boots? Do you live outside? Oh, he's going to miss out. Oh, okay. Well, he can, he can, he can, he can watch it later on YouTube. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's open the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, your wonder, your goodness, your grace, your blessing. The work that you do within our lives, dear Father, is that beyond anything, dear Lord, that we can imagine. You show yourself strong. You are glorious. You are faithful, Father. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would be with each one of us this morning, that it would be a blessing to you. I pray, dear Father, that uh, we could lift up your name through uh, this message. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen, Amen indeed. Okay, written for our learning is our text. It's actually worth turning there in the book of Romans. Book of Romans, and we'll begin again from just from verse 1, and we'll go through to verse 6. We'll go through to verse 6. Chapter 1. Oh, sorry. Chapter 1. Chapter 15. I'm in chapter 15. No, so we're going to read from 1 to 4. There's a natural completion at four. Romans 15 verses 1 to 4. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And this is where we are at today. We are at this latter portion of this verse. We, we began and considered the first part of the verse last week. Uh, we'd seen the infinite value of that which was written aforetime. Uh, the Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible. We take for granted that there's nothing that the Bible does not speak to. I mean, we often, we often hear it said that the Bible pertains to, to all things that are a matter of faith and practice. But I would put to you that both directly and indirectly, there is nothing that the Bible does not speak to. The Bible speaks to everything that we can possibly need to know, provided that we're reading it and we understand the character of the Lord and the nature of the Word of God. It speaks to things both directly and indirectly. We recognise that it had an effect upon mankind, upon particularly the, the Western world, as it did to the people in the past, the people of Israel. 
Um, just as the advantage of the Jew was to have the ordinance of God, so too it is to the world today to have the whole counsel of God. We have the whole counsel of God. Remember, Israel had only the latter part, the earlier part, the Old Testament. We add to that the New Testament, the completion of the word of God is found within the scriptures. So we saw the light that came into the world in the first century. The light came into the world in the first century, but it was soon plunged into this darkness. We recognize that through our consideration last week. Satan was working in large portion portions of the world to keep the Bible locked away in an unknown tongue. So in the end, sadly, the advantage of the Jew could not be known for the learning of the Gentiles. And that, that's a, that was a real tragedy. And it was a tragedy that lasted a period of a thousand years, what's known as the Dark Ages. It was a period of a thousand years until, until a handful of men, a handful of men ventured to unlock the Word of God from its language prison and gave it the freedom of the tongues of the world. It's an incredible thing that we see. It was John Knox, the author of uh, Fox's, sorry, John Fox, the author of Fox's Book of Martyrs, who spoke of the spreading of the word of God um, like the ashes of John Wycliffe, whose bones were burnt by the Pope because he translated the Bible away from the locked language of the Latin into English. And the Pope commanded that his ashes would be thrown into the River Swift. And John Fox commented on that and he said this, And like the River Swift runs into the Avon, and the Avon into the Severn, and the Severn into the Bristol Channel, which empties into the oceans of the world, so did the proliferation of God's word go to the ends of the earth. What a wonderful thing that is. And we know that John Wycliffe was the first. He would have been considered the first. He's the foundation of the reformers. He was the one who challenged the Pope and he challenged his ways and he challenged him in a way that ended up blessing all of us and everyone in the world in a large way. So now the common man in the street has the word of God in his own language and the light finally had a chance to shine. We saw that the effect that had on mankind. We saw that... It had the effect, um, well, it's not a coincidence that the Renaissance, the Renaissance, uh, Renaissance, 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 it's a French word, you've got to say it French in a French way, Renaissance. Anyway, it's the rebirth of civilization is what that refers to. And we recognize that that occurred only a few short years after the Bible was given to the people, only a few short years. God promised that his words would have such an effect and he promised that from the beginning. If you get your Bibles there, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy, an incredible book. It's Deutera, so we recognize there's two. And Nomi refers to the law. It's the second reading of the law. This is, a, this is at least one, if not two, sermons by Moses contained in the book of Deuteronomy where he goes through and speaks about the... Uh, he summarises the history of everything that's gone before. It's, it's, the, um, it's the last book of the five after which Moses ends up uh, dying and we have the book of Joshua. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
And verse 6, Moses wrote, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. The Lord promised in every way blessing upon people who had his very words, who trusted and believed the very words of the living God. And these are those blessings that would apply to the entire world during that time, that they had the light of the word of God and the gospel of Christ. But there was a flip side to that. And Moses was also not shy in telling people the truth of the other side of that coin. And that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 30. His, again, summary of all that has gone before. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, two verses that summarise the entire scope of it. And we'll read at least midway through that last portion of the verse. Deuteronomy 19, uh, 30 verse 19 to 20. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. And this is our Lord. He is our life and the length of our days. And when we're trusting in him and we're trusting in his word, when we're holding to the very words of the living God, then we have that patience and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. If we don't, though, if we set the book aside, if we set the book aside, no matter what the turmoils are that are around us and in the world, we are going to be experiencing those same turmoils. But if we hold to the word of the living God and we spend time reading it and we enjoy the Lord in prayer, then no matter what goes on around us, we are a, we are a, a wonderful ship with, its, uh, with, a, with a firm anchor or a firm helm and we can simply coast through these seas. So it's a wonderful blessing. So... We are today now, sadly, the witnesses of the abandonment of the Word of God in the world. It began to manifest itself. We recognise that during the mid-18th century in what was known as the Enlightenment, when men elevated themselves above God, where they thought that they were their own saviours. They thought that they brought themselves, brought themselves out of darkness into light not realising God working through individual men, men like Wycliffe, men like Erasmus, who would bring the word of God out from the foreign tongue that was not known to the people and bring it into the common tongue, the vulgar tongue of the, uh, the person in the street. person in the street. We see today, sadly, that so few, even in the church, read their Bibles anymore. And we should not be surprised then to see the darkness envelop the world. 
the word of God is barely elevated by Christians, so we can't expect the, wor- the world to be even considering it. And this is the reality. We've got a responsibility with this mess that the world is in today because we have hidden the Bible away as well. We don't even take part of it ourselves. We don't even take it into our own lives. We bear a certain responsibility. Pastors more than anybody else because they have not encouraged people in the word of God. No, rather the opposite. They have caused people to doubt the word of God. So why should they pick it up? Makes, makes perfect sense. The world is in tremendous darkness and we discovered last week that nevertheless the children of Israel had light in their dwellings in Exodus uh, 10.15. While the world around them was enveloped in darkness, even a darkness that might be felt, this small people had light. And so it's been throughout all of history. Throughout all of history there's always been a small people who had the light of the word of God travelling parallel in time with the dark ages that were actually... Um, part of the entire known world at that time and we like to think that we are also in that wonderful light why because we've got the got the book we've got the book you and i have light in our dwellings so we see the hope that's been laid before us whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures we have few points this morning to consider the first is that our learning of that which was it's our learning of that which was the next point will be our learning of that which is our learning of that which is and then our learning of that which is to come and then our learning of the way of salvation as we close it off but the first point this morning our learning of that which was subtitled to this is God through a people God through a people Contrarily to what many people think, the Bible is not a book. Uh, it's not a book about good ideas. It's not just a book about how to live. It's not a self-help book. It's not one of those that can be put into into in that into that into that frame. Interestingly enough, it's also not a book that just simply teaches about everlasting life and about a way of salvation. Um, you know that that's something that you can certainly glean out of the scriptures. Matter of fact. To, to save a soul from hell, all you need is a couple of pages or a few passages of the Bible and you can certainly save somebody from that culmination of their own life. The wages of sin is death. It's easy enough to teach and you can bring that out of only a handful of verses. But there's 779,000 words in this book. So what's the rest of it about? Well, I would put to you that the rest of it is about everything that Jesus mentioned. In the Gospel of John, chapter 539, he says this, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, he says. And this is the truth of, the, of that which is today, but it's also the truth of that which was yesterday. Psalm 40, verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. This is repeated in the book of Hebrews as well, referring to Christ. The volume of the book is written of Jesus. It's written of Christ. The disciples testified also to the truth of it when they met Nathaniel. Remember when they met Nathaniel in, in the uh, right at the beginning of the, of, of the book in John? They come to him and they say, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So even they acknowledged 
who Christ is and what the volume of the book is written about. And then you've got this incredible passage in, 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 in the book of Luke, right at the end of the book of Luke, when Jesus has gone to the cross and, and they put him to death and he rose again from the grave and he's walking along the Emmaus Road. You remember that account? He's walking along the Emmaus Road and these two men who were talking and their communications between one another were sad. And Jesus came in amongst them, almost in a way disguised from their own eyes. They couldn't recognise who Christ was. But as they were sorrowful about what had occurred and they'd spoken to him and they'd said, you know, behold, this is, you know, we thought that this was a man mighty of, of God who did incredible deeds and it was him that they put on the cross and, and, and indeed this is the third day and, and he said that he would rise again and the women came to the sepulchre and they found that it was as so, he wasn't there. And Jesus said to him simply this, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Everything about the word of God, everything that was and everything that is, is about Christ. Someone said he's there on every page. And in every way he is. His nature, his character, his power, the understanding of, of who he is. We see that, that his, his love is found there. His faithfulness is found there. His mercy, his grace um, we, we, we learn about his promises and how he was faithful to keep those promises. We, we hear about his wisdom. We hear about his judgment also. We recognize that this is God manifest in the flesh and this is him now presenting himself through the very words of the living God. More than that, his name is called the word of God. And that's something that's incredible in itself. That's his name. Jesus is the word of God. And we see that in the Gospel of John. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, he says in First John. Uh, in, sorry, in John chapter 1, verse 14. Paul writes in this verse, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, the end of this is hope. And it's not a hope that the world thinks of as hope. It's not like I hope I win the lottery. It's nothing like that. No, the Bible doesn't present hope that way. The Bible presents hope as the certain expectation of that which is not yet seen. So the word hope in the scriptures is not something that's somewhere out there. Maybe it's a certain expectation of that which is not yet seen. And the book of Hebrews brings it out real clear. This is the hope that we have. So first, our learning is, is of that which was. It is God working through a people. The Bible teaches, and we recognise this, we see the Bible teaches firstly that through creation God is a God of purpose. He's a God that makes things, that does things for a purpose. Everything has a purpose. It's not an accidental universe. It's not arbitrary. You're not here with no purpose. You're here and built as part of the creation of God. But no, but, but, but no, you, you're, not, you're not a part of this creation. Sorry, you're not a part of this creation. You're the purpose. You're the purpose for it. It sort of puts things on a different plane, doesn't it? How many things can you learn just from that? I preach an entire sermon based on that or more. I mean, how many things we can learn from the fact that we are not a part of this creation. We are the purpose for it. So many things that can be brought out of that, but then I would not be 
faithful to what I've got here in front of me that I need to be dealing with. But this is one of those things that we can learn, that we can know from that which was. Origins are vital, vital to be able to understand, vital to be able to know the history of. Why we are here, and this is the fundamental question of life. So many people ask that same question, why am I here? Why am I here? A learning of that which was is critical then for our understanding of that which is. The history of creation in the universe gives to us a part of our understanding. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It tells there of his timelessness. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God was there already at the beginning. At the beginning of what? Beginning of time. It speaks to time. God was there before time began. It tells us of his power. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It speaks to his power. And then we have John 1, 1 to 4, and identifies who this same God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. But the history of creation, though interesting and exciting as that teaching is, and the Bible speaks a lot to it. It's not just in Genesis. You can, you can look at the book of Job as well. Um, it speaks to so many wonderful things with regards to creation. But most importantly, what we notice is God working through a people, a people, a people of Israel. Genesis 12, God chose to himself the beginning of a people through Abraham. The father of many nations, the Bible refers to him as. From him came Isaac and from him Jacob and the 12 tribes. It was through these 12 tribes that we begin to see the character of the Lord. This is the interesting part because Israel, you've got God's promises to Israel and you've got God selecting these people out of a people and God working within them and within their lives and you see them ebb and flow, don't you? Right through the Old Testament. You see them faithful to God and you see how God responds. You see them unfaithful to God and you see how God responds. You know, you see them um, neither here nor there, lukewarm to God and you see how God responds. You see how God responds through their battles, you know, and how he's there watching over them. Sometimes he says something like, I will take away your swords and have them fight against you. You know, because of his judgment against the people who are a disobedient and gainsaying people, the Bible says. I want to consider what he says about this people. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. As we close off this point, we can see how God thinks about this people. How they were selected. They were a chosen people. They were a people chosen of God and worked with personally by him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and just three verses, we'll read there, verses 6 to 8. It says, this is again Moses speaking to the people. He says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, 
for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, in this we discover something about God, about Christ. We're learning in this how he is, his character, his nature. He's chosen these people. They are his people. And there's nothing special about them. Like there is nothing special about you and I. There's nothing special about us. And I know a lot of the time we like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But we've got to remember that God has chosen. He has selected his people. Gives us an insight into his character, into his nature, into his power, into his authority. That's what the Bible's about. It's about knowing who God is. And in knowing who God is and understanding his character of that which was in the Old Testament as he worked through a people, we can apply that to our lives today to be able to understand exactly how God works within our lives today. He works in the same way. He was a father to the children of Israel. He is a father to us as children today. Matter of fact, he's, he's, uh, he's a very close and personal father today because today it's very different today he's working in a person he's working individually and that's my next point next point is our learning of that which is of that which is god working in a person or to a person or for a person whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so we see how god cared for his people in the past Knowing that then gives us confidence that he will care for his children individually today. He cared for his people corporately back then. He cares for us individually today. We learn that God worked in that way. In writing to Timothy, Paul said this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He goes on to speak of himself as the chief. But this is Jesus Christ. This is, this is God manifest in the flesh. It came into the world. He's not, he's not out there somewhere. Now Christ came into the world. Immediately that speaks about a personal desire for the people of the world. You don't see this in paganism. You don't see this in any other religious system in the world. You only see this in the Bible. It's the only place where you see God being and desiring to be personal with us, to be individual. I love how, how John, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have handled with our hands concerning the word of life, and he speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he was able to be with him and, and speak to him and, and handle the Lord God manifest in the flesh. There's a level of intimacy here that reveals to us his individual love for you and I. It's personal. It's very personal. This is one of the things that we can learn about that which is, you know, this is one of the things we learn about that which was written aforetime is now written for our learning. When Christ died on the cross for you and me, he did so personally that we might choose to believe that which he had done personally. This is the gospel. There's going to be a time 
at the end of this sermon that I'm going to be asking those of you who are listening to give your life to Christ. To be ready now because you will have that opportunity then to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. To recognize who he is. To recognize that he died to set you free from your own sin. And also that judgment will not be laid on you anymore because it was laid on Christ on the cross. That you would believe that and it will be your choice and it will be something that is very personal for you. So I'm going to encourage you to be ready because that time is going to be coming. The scriptures are written for our learning that we may learn of that which is, that which is. Today we are living in what is known as the time of grace, a time that God has ordained for the salvation of the Gentile world. The interesting thing is this is a time that was not seen in the Old Testament. They weren't expecting that Christ would come to save the sinners of the Gentiles, which is you and I, because the Messiah was for Israel. Messiah was for Israel. But the time now is the time that is. This is the time of grace, and it extended from the time of the Lord Jesus Christ until today. Paul wrote, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6.2. In part of that which was, the Messiah of Israel was long promised to come for them as a people. But they turned their hearts away from him and now we've come to the time that is, where Christ comes for the individual. John 1, 10-14 says, He was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But then it goes on and it says, But as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Paul here giving a response to the Jews. A response to the question with regards to the Jews having denied the Lord whether they would be lost forever or just for a time. And Romans 11.11, he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Through therefore, salvation is come to the Gentiles. That's, that's, that's you and I. There's only two groups of people in the world. There's the Jew and there's the Gentile. That's it. They're the only two people groups in the world. And we are part of the sinners of the Gentiles. We are those. We are those. We never had God. We never had the word of the living God until God was manifest in the flesh, until the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we have for our learning and this is that which is. This is that which is today. It extends from then to today. Turn with me again to the book of Acts. You're in Romans. Just go back one book to Acts chapter 17. And you're going to see there an interesting picture of Paul dealing with the Gentiles. He's gone to Athens, Greece. And as he goes to Athens, Greece, he stands there. He was motivated. He was moved by the city. 
and he'd noticed that the city was wholly given over to idolatry. Uh, we were in Rome a couple of years ago and I could say the same thing for Rome. Wholly given over to idolatry. There were statues of almost every pagan manifestation of gods all over the city. It was incredible to watch and to see. And I could understand that it would be the Babylon of, the, of, of Revelation. But the same thing was found in Athens, Greece. And that's what Paul was there to identify. His, his heart was stirred up because he'd seen the idolatry. And then he says something interesting as he teaches them about the unknown God. He charges them with superstition. And then he goes on to teach them about the God that they actually worship in ignorance. He says, that unknown God, him, I'm going to declare to you. You don't know him, but I'm going to declare him to you. And he says this in verse 29. For as much as, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times, this is the important bit, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This is that which is. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent. This time is still available to you now. It's not going to last much longer, but it is still available to you now. This period of grace is still available to you now, but its time is drawing to a close. There was a time of your ignorance that God winked at, but now commands every man everywhere to repent. The sin that's holding you back from a holy God, up until this moment, you have had the grace of God to continue to live in it. But now he commands you to repent, to turn to Christ, to believe the gospel for the sake of your salvation. And that time is coming to a close. It's referring to this very day, the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3, 7 to 8 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty seven. See, here we learn of that which is. It's that which is. We've learned about that which was. And that was important because that which was written aforetime is vital for our learning of that which was. We learn about the character and the nature of God. Now we hear, we hear in the New Testament, we see of that which is. That which is, and that is the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is now God working for the benefit of a person, while back then he was working for the benefit of a people. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. It's interesting. The passage of Acts where we concluded with Paul's words in verse 30 uh, continues to verse 31. So let's go to verse 31. He says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul here introduces that which is to come. He introduces here that which is to come. He spoke of that which is. We understood about that which was. And now he speaks 
about a day appointed, a day which is to come, because God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. This is our third point this morning. There's a judgment coming for the world and for every man and woman who dies in their sin. Now we have something really interesting. We've got, a, we've got an incredible bringing together. We've got a, a, a compendium of sorts where before in that which was, God had worked through people. <coughs> the time that is now, he is working through you as an individual. But the time to come, he, so we've got the time in the past was corporate, now the time is individual But there's a time coming where it's going to be both corporate and individual. The time when God is going to be judging the world for their sin, but also all individuals who die in their sin. From, well, that's always been the way. Every individual is going to die, apart from those who are going to be caught up and be raptured, the rapture rapture of the church, which is something I'm very much looking forward to. And I pray that it comes in my lifetime. But other than those, there are going to be those who are going to die. Um, And we don't know who it is and none of us know the time of our death. We do all know fairly confidently that we are all going to die. None of us make plans for our death. Most of us are making plans for tomorrow. Very few who die didn't make plans for the following day. But there is a judgment coming and that which is to come. This is God working to a world and he's speaking to a world. God is today angry at sin. He is angry at sin. He hates sin and God will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will deal with the godless. He will bring their account to balance in accord with his righteousness and judgment. He will not let the guilty go unpunished, but will bring to the world the account of that which is due. This is what is to come. It is to come upon the world and it's to come upon every godless sinner who dies in their sin. There's a few short words at the beginning of Romans 6.23 that Paul refers to that which is and that which is to come in these six words. He says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Our sin is in the present tense. okay? But the wages are yet to be paid and that's in the future tense. It speaks about that which is and that which is to come. The sin of the world is present The wages are yet to come. The sin of the individual is in the present, but his wages are yet to come. This time of grace will one day come to an end, both corporately and individually. Both corporately and individually. Corporately in that the world is drawing to a close and the signs that we see in the world today bear testimony. that The end of it is very near. Never in the history of the world have nations suffered such corporate despotism and delusion as we're seeing today collectively. The world is being thrust into a state of chaos never before seen until there comes forth that man with the plan. The scriptures refer to him as the Antichrist, that which is to come. So that which is at the moment is a world in chaos, that which is to come will be Antichrist. That is corporately, that is part of the world. But why is this occurring? This is a good question. 
Why is this occurring? It's occurring because of sin individually. Individually. This is occurring because of sin individually and the time of their grace individually comes at their death. Individually. This is important to recognise. There are today the world over wicked men and wicked women who lead lives completely ignorant of the sin that offends God so much as to see them cast into hell the moment of their death. There's something that we've got to realise that, you know, when we speak about the individual and all these people like to say these, this, this silliness that says, oh, you know, everyone's good in their own heart, you know. But the heart, the heart of, of man is good, you know. Generally, it's good. Jeremiah says the heart of man is desperately wicked. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. But it's not the individual that's evil. It's society that's evil. They fail to identify what makes up society. So because of our sin individually, we find corporately the world in tremendous trouble. Today, wicked men and wicked women even join together to work their evil in the world. But according to that which is to come, there will be a recompense before a holy God. How can we know it? Because the scripture is written for our learning. And our learning of that which is and of that which is to come. Proverbs 11.21 says, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. You see a separation between groups of people here. One lot of people won't go unpunished and the other will be delivered. In this we see that they can take no comfort in numbers. Recognise that. Though hand join in hand, it'll be the individual who will not be unpunished. There's no, there's no, there's no party votes in the Bible. There's no, every vote is a conscience vote in Scripture. Isaiah wrote, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Have you seen your sin for what it is? Can you identify it yet? Because without you being able to identify your own sin, there's not a hope that you are going to be able to repent of that which you have no idea. If you identify your sin and recognise it, it's only then that you can make a difference. Can you see your sin upon and its effect on encouraging others to sin? That's something that's really interesting. Do you personally encourage others to sin in your sin to make you feel better about your sin? The vanity of people who think that only if I get others to sin the way I do, I might justify myself. And that's what people do. But people do this the world over. This expresses itself in such a way individually around the entire world. Every sinner toward other sinners, having other sinners sin in the way they sin to justify their own sin, makes them wanting to want to sin and encourage others again to sin like they sin until in the end we've got a world that is in its collective sin sets itself up for that judgment. The Old Testament teaches us something really interesting. It says that the sin of the people that sets them up with godless and evil kings, and so it is today. It's the same thing today. Paul speaks to the present of that which was a principle in the past, but referring to the future. I hope I haven't confused you too much. 
He says this to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time will come, will they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own hearts lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Notice that it was in accord with their own hearts lusts that they heaped to themselves teachers. Yes, even rulers and governors and kings. We see this in whatsoever was written aforetime. We see this in the Old Testament. Turning away of the people, the turning away of the people from God found them with godless rulers set over them. It was a people's choice. It was the people's choice. God said godless rulers over them because that's what the people desired. That's what the people wanted. Now, if this is true with the kings of the Old Testament who are directly appointed by God's providence, what more can we say of democracies whose people directly cast their vote? In Victoria, we've cast our votes. The majority voted for that which is not understanding anything about that which is to come. But evil is always ready to take the opportunity to act when it is presented with it. As a state, we were the first to employ a version of same-sex marriage all the way back in 2007 under the Labor leader Steve Brax, permitting the formal registration of relationships at births, deaths and marriages. We were the first in Australia to permit, through the Supreme Court, same-sex couples' adoption rights where one person in a same-sex couple could adopt. We're the first state in Australia to enact abortion to birth for any reason under Labor's John Brunby government in 2008, resulting in a massive 37% increase of late-term abortions, including the first full-term murder of a healthy baby to a healthy mother in 2011 for psychosocial reasons. Infanticide is now entrenched in the laws of our state. Victoria is the first state in Australia to introduce the same, the Safe Schools Program of Social Engineering in October 2010. It was designed both to accept and promote all forms of sexual perversion to children as young as grade five. The federal government defunded the program, but the current administration refunded it in full and change the opt-in option for, as compulsory for all public schools by 2018. We're the first state in Australia to enact assisted suicide in November 2017 under the reign of the leader Daniel Andrews. The so-called voluntary assisted dying bill opens the door for involuntary euthanasia and the future potential of justifiable homicide. Just as night follows day, so too that which is to come follows that which is. And we already have a hint of it affecting our daily lives and the daily lives of the 1.5 million people who voted for the current regime. Let me summarise this point of learning of that which is to come, God to the world, reading a passage expressly speaking to it. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, God to the world. And we'll have a look at, um, I'm going to read from verses 3 to 12. 
Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. He says this, Let no man deceive you by any means, in verse 3. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Speaking there of Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Speaking of hindrance, speaking of the Holy Spirit, hindering the evil that's in the world. The word let refers to a hindrance. We still use it in tennis today, hindering the ball. He who now letteth will let, he will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they, might, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We learn in our Bibles of that which is to come. And those who reject the truth will be handed over to a lie. And we're seeing hints of it today. Delusion manifesting itself within the world in such an evident way. The Bible speaks about the judgment of sin, both individual and in the world. And today's events God is speaking about also in the world. But most importantly, there is also that which is to come, which has with it hope, which has with it hope. And the last point of the message finishes in that hope. And that is that our learning of the way of our salvation. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to that which is about this point and this time of grace. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that uh, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah wrote a foretime about that which was to come of his day. So we see in Isaiah that which was, speaking about that which is and looking forward to that which is to come, respecting the hope that we have to look forward to. He spoke about the Messiah. He spoke about and wrote about Christ. He wrote about it 700 years before Jesus Christ walked the shores of Galilee or climbed the mountains of Judea. 700 years before he cured the lame, healed the sick, made the deaf hear, had the blind see. Isaiah wrote a foretime of that which would forever be our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And it's worth turning there.
Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53 and see what we can glean from it. Writing to the Jews, he writes of a man who would give himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. It's relatively short, so we'll read the chapter. And this is that gospel. Chapter 53 of Isaiah. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is Christ. This is Christ. Written of that which was. Speaking of that which is and alluding to that which is to come. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the sacrifice that he made for our sins. He made this sacrifice for you and for me. And you, sinner, if you would believe this, if you would believe what God has done for you, if you would believe that Isaiah wrote of Christ, he wrote of it 700 years before he was even born, And yet it is still pertains to today. Today is the day of salvation. And if you would only repent, if you would only turn from sin and turn to Christ, believe the gospel and he will wipe your slate clean as snow. He will wipe it never again to be written on. Never again because you would have the righteousness of Christ. You would be clothed upon with his righteousness just as much as he took on your sin you would be clothed with his righteousness. This is that which is to come. 
Isaiah wrote of it again. He's wrote of it in, in, in chapter 9 of his book saying, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is Christ. Came into the world to, say, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and that's me. This is Christ, God manifest in the flesh. And if you see your sin for what it is, then believe that those stripes that he had borne, he had borne for you. Then you have learned about that which was. You have learned about that which was. And now you trust in that which is that will culminate for you a hope of that which is to come. Maranatha, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, your grace, your blessing, your work, your word within our lives. We ask you, dear God, that you would continue to go before us, that you would bless us, that we may understand who you are and that we may rejoice all the more in the wonderful work that you have done within our lives. I pray, dear Father, those who have heard this message this morning who do not know Christ, I ask you, dear God, that you would work upon their hearts and upon their lives. Those of you who don't know Christ, that you would now, even now, have that opportunity, bow your knee before God and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Ask him now. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day. This is the day. And you have hope in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Lord, hear their prayer. Father, as they are rise up in their prayer to you, dear Lord, please hear their prayer. We intercede for them just as Christ interceded for us and intercedes for them also even now. I pray, dear Lord, that you would save many this day. In Jesus' name, dear Lord, we give you thanks for the wonderful word of God. Amen.